Cameron Johnson re-signs with the Brooklyn Nets on a four-year, $108 million contract. We break down the numbers, what it means for Brooklyn going forward, and the other moves they still need to make in free agency. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Adam Armbrecht, and I'm elated and talking way too fast as we come in with the bonus breaking news as free agency kicked off today, Friday, June 30th. And finally, just before the 7 o'clock hour, Cameron Johnson officially announced he will be returning to the Brooklyn Nets on a four-year, $108 million contract. Goodness gravy. That's a big number, and we're going to talk about the details, what it means for the Nets from a cap perspective, and the other transaction that they made early in the day that afforded them the ability potentially to continue to build out this roster around Mikhail Bridges, around the returning Cameron Johnson, Nicholas Claxton, and the rest of this squad. So, as we said at the top, $108 million, you're talking about eh, something around $26.5 million per year or so. Now, earlier in the day, we had had some questions, right, around what was going to happen when Cameron Johnson got to free agency. Restricted, Nets gave every indication they would match offers made to him. That was the rumors going around the NBA. But lurking in the shadows was the Detroit Pistons, potentially ready to give an offer that the Brooklyn Nets would flat out refuse to be able to match. However, instead of that getting in the way, the Nets trade to Detroit, Joe Harris and two future second round picks, which brings down the cap room for the Detroit Pistons and effectively takes them off the table as a suitor for Cameron Johnson. Now, Cameron Johnson came over in the Kevin Durant trade, as we know, at the deadline this past season, at which point he saw himself elevate in his role. In 25 games, starting all 25 for Brooklyn, Cameron Johnson increased his minutes by five per game, playing almost 31 per night, took a couple more shots, but did not see a drop off in his overall field goal percentage, shooting nearly 47% from the field. The 37% from beyond the arc was a noticeable dip for him, although you can try to expect that after getting comfortable, after a full off season, we hope to see him settle back into that north of 40 mark that we've come to expect from him. Now, he ended up being a 16, almost 17-point scorer coming over into the trade. That was marking the trend of a career high for him as well. And everything about it at least gives the indication that he's going in the right direction. There were some inconsistencies on a game-to-game -game basis from him. I'm not making excuses when you're a $108 million contract man now. But there were a lot of moving parts. Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie coming from the Kyrie Irving trade. Obviously, you have Mikhail Bridges, who you are familiar with. You're getting to know Nicholas Claxton. You're getting to know Royce O'Neal and other role players. There's a lot going on for everybody involved. So you at least give some level of breathing room. Now, you come into this upcoming season, there is a new level of expectation. And by the way, when he went to the playoffs, that first round series, yes, the Nets were swept at the hands of the Philadelphia 76ers, but he played 38 minutes tonight. He shot almost 51% from the field. Remember that three-point percentage? Yes, 
43% on seven attempts per game and became an over 18-point scorer across that four-game series. The assist numbers as well almost went up to three there, which is a nice number for him, and had almost six rebounds to go along with it. That is the little sample size that you want to see him continue to push and grow with as he moves forward as a Brooklyn net now. At $108 million at $26.5 million a year, he needs to be far closer to a 20-point-a-night score than a 16-point score. Even that jump he took coming over to Brooklyn has to continue to grow and expand in that. The areas of his game that I think we saw some sample sizes of as we got towards the latter stages of the season but didn't see initially when he came over, it's that little bit of on-ball work, right? He kind of has that slow-moving quickness to him. He can take some guys off the dribble. He has enough size to get into the lane. Little push shots, little floaters, running one-handers. Those are things that I think we want to see more of as his game of Evolves going in here in Brooklyn. The other thing that I'll point out too that I, I I think I noted during the regular season, you need a little bit more from him getting to the free throw line. Now he ended up averaging three and a half free throw attempts per game once he came over to Brooklyn. Only averaged two per game over 25 minutes a night when he was playing with the Phoenix Suns. So you're seeing a tick up in the right direction. I think you want him to be a guy that attacks the weaker defender, especially if the Nets can add another weapon offensively here that helps space the floor a little bit, helps create some switching mismatches for defenses. And then Cameron Johnson needs to be the guy that punishes the opposition when he gets those opportunities. So there are some areas of his game that you want to see continue to expand. Now let's be clear. It's a lot of money. And Cameron Johnson is 27 years old and he came out late. He you know, came out, he's already 24 when he entered the league. So even though he's only been in the league since 1920, he is an older player. Now, can we look at him the way we looked at Mikhail Bridges coming over? And Mikhail really showcased it right out of the gate, stepping into that dominant role, stepping into the face of the franchise role over the back end of the season after the trade from Phoenix. I don't want to put that type of expectation on Cameron Johnson, but I think there is more there. And if you remember early on when he came over, one of the things he said in a post-game interview, and it wasn't excuse-making, it was honesty. It, it was self-evaluation. He said, not only terminology when you come over to a new team and you're learning a new system, but he said just fundamentally there were different things that the Brooklyn Nets wanted to do that they didn't do in Phoenix. So there was hesitation, especially on the defensive end. And both he and Mikhail Bridges from a defensive net rating standpoint did take a step back coming over to Brooklyn. But again, a year of cohesion, an off-season of working together, I think will smooth some of that out, and it is dependent on what other moves the Brooklyn Nets go on to make here. And in that vein, coming up in a second, we'll continue to discuss the Cameron Johnson contract. We'll look at some comparisons around what other players in the NBA would be into that range in terms of market value and whether or not we think it's an overpay, and if it's an overpay, by how much, and also note, other moves potentially that can be made here, as we mentioned at the top, the moving on from Joe Harris's contract. What does that mean from a cap space standpoint? And what does it afford Sean Marks and the Nets potentially, potentially to do here going forward? Before we get into that, though, my friends, we're going to tell you about our other friends. And those are the friends at Prize Picks. Why? Because you know that Prize Picks is is all about getting in on some of the action without dealing with all of those fantasy sharks. My goodness, you know that what I love about prize picks is the ability to walk in the door, and it's a virtual door, 
a metaphorical door, pick two to six players and choose whether or not they will go over or under their prize picks projections. And it's as simple as that. You're not competing against a bunch of sharks. It's just you against the projections. And that's what makes prize picks so much fun. You can get right in on that action and not have to worry about anything other than winning up to potentially 25 times your money. As I said, no competing against other people, just you versus the projections and They have projections on sports that you love to watch, like not only the NBA, but also the NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, and so much more. Entries can be made in as little as 60 seconds. It's that easy, safe, and fast withdrawals, and currently operating in over 30 states plus our friends to the north, Canada. Download the PrizePix app or go to prizepix.com to sign up to play daily fantasy sports. First-time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code ALLCAST. Locked on. If you deposit $100, prize picks will give you $100. If you deposit $50, prize picks will give you $50. You can do the rest of those iterations. Don't forget to enter promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. Woo! We're cooking now, boys. Cameron Johnson, 40 year, $108 million contract with the Brooklyn Nets. Yes, it is sizable. Yes, it is in many circles potentially considered an overpay. But the Nets, by the way, could not afford to lose Cameron Johnson. Are there pivots they could make? Sure, in theory, but not the kind of pivots you're thinking. Because even though coming out of the Joe Harris transaction, one of the fringe benefits that the Brooklyn Nets picked up was an additional $19.9 million TPE. Little wrinkle about it as well, depending on where the contract came in for Cameron Johnson, potentially it would have put the Nets into a situation where they also had the non-taxpayer MLE, which would have been up to $12.4 million. Does not look like that's going to be in the cards here. But the Nets now have a $19.9 million TPE, an $18.1 million TPE, and also a 6.7 MLE. So they have some functionality to work with here. But as we have said before, the reality when it comes to re-signing in-house players versus going out and signing free agents, that's not the way it works. It's not a one-to-one dollar comparison. So it behooved the Brooklyn Nets to try to find a way to keep Cameron Johnson in-house. The other problem that they run into now is hitting up against the luxury tax, hitting up against the first and second tax aprons potentially. Announced by Bobby Marks earlier on uh, free agency day, as we like to call it, on a Friday, uh, 136 was going to be the new salary cap. So uh, they were about 145 when they had Joe Harris on the books, got down to about 125 when they took him off, and then they'll balloon back up north of probably 150-ish. So what has to happen next for them? You got to find a way to get off the Mills contract, bring yourself down a little bit. A lot of people have asked and speculated, well, should you try to move a Dorian Finney-Smith if other teams strike out on the free agent market for a future first-round draft? pick potentially next year 2024 a reportedly weaker class by most accounts no at least in this moment you can't afford to do it not until you identify and sign a player with a tpe or an mle that you know is not going to affect your cap room or you think that you have a functional process here because as it stands right now i would assume on paper you want to bring down the cap a little bit here you have your younger players. You're going to look to sign some minimum guys around the fringe, potentially. We've mentioned some of those names before, and we'll continue to monitor them in the coming days. But the reality is the Brooklyn Nets 
Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, you need these guys right now to be a part of this team in the short term because Mikael Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Nicholas Claxton, like when you look over the Brooklyn Nets roster, it is a far different landscape now that you took out the superstar talent and you were surrounding them with veterans that kind of fit the mold or minimum guys that, that just kind of could serve a purpose. Think about this right now. You bring, bring back in, excuse me, Cameron Johnson. It's Spencer Dinwiddie who I had mentioned there in that group. You need him to be on this team right now. Seth Curry's going to be out the door. Cam Johnson, uh, Thomas, excuse me, needs to have a bigger role. It's going to be asked of him to have a bigger role. Ben Simmons is the enormous question mark. If he comes back and is healthy and can do anything, even from a pure point guard standpoint, that would be something that really opens it up and helps balance the depth here a little bit. But you're talking about Dayron Sharp, a guy that couldn't get run in the playoffs, even in spite of the fact that this was a much more open rotational landscape. The rookie Noah Clowney, you want him to develop. You want him to grow. Yuta Watanabe, is he coming back? I think you want to keep him back here because I think he can be a good depth piece for you. Dariq Whitehead recovering from injury, a rookie. And then you get into the Edmund Sumners of the world. Like, that's it. That's it, man. The second level of this rotation right now would look like Edmund Sumner, Cam Thomas, Royce O'Neal, and, you know, you want to say Dan Ron Sharp, you want to say Noah Clowney gets thrust in for some minutes, and the big question mark of Ben Simmons. So there are still things that the Brooklyn Nets are going to need to figure out here. I- I'm excited for it because, again, I can I can bring back Yuta Watanabe. I can want and hope and think that Ben Simmons can finally be healthy here. And as long as I make a couple of more marginal moves around the edges here to get in some depth, I can really, I can really look and say, Hey, we have a balanced roster. We have a balanced rotation. There is an opportunity for us to be successful in the short term as we continue to develop some of our younger talent. By the way, we'll go ahead and take a look here in a minute about what that could mean. What could that look like when we check in? We, we highlighted leading up to free agency, all of the players that the Nets may look at with the TPE, with the MLE, with some minimum contracts. I, I think the Nets may need to go volume here. After we sat and said the Brooklyn Nets need to bring back Cameron Johnson because of what he represents and maybe it's going to be an overpay, the Nets need to be volume shoppers here. When they look at the potential, the potential of, bringing in a crop of players and allowing them to sort out the details. Let somebody rise to the top here. And there are targetable guys on the free agent market right now that will not cost a lot in order to get that done. It's just a matter of whether or not the Brooklyn Nets can get the both and here, shed a little more salary and utilize an MLE. That TPE, the both those TPEs are sitting out there, but it needs to be for the right guy. So as we said, just to reset our table here on what is just, uh, I don't know. If, if, we, if we normally do the speed limit on our podcast, about 65 on the parkway, 35 if you're traveling, you know, some local roads, et cetera. I'm doing 90. I'm catching a ticket right now doing this podcast episode because Cameron Johnson comes back on a four for $108 million contract. And the other part of it that we said that begged the question was where does it stack up around the NBA? Imperatively, for players in that financial range, what would it mean if he's making 26.5 walking in the door? And we don't have the full details right now as to how the contract is structured, 
if there's any incentive-based numbers that mean it's up to 108, or if they try to do it in an, an ascending function where the Nets can keep a little bit off the books early here so they can make the extra moves they need to. And then, yeah, unfortunately, at 30 and 31, maybe be paying a little bit heftier of a price tag for his services. Okay, before we move on to the handful of names that, that are still available right now, a lot of guys have come off the board as free agency has gotten underway. And we'll be back in to update anything that shakes loose here. All right. 26 and a half million in that range. Let's take it all the way down to about 20. Yeah, let's go. Let's say everything north of 20, right? Guys like Miles Turner, familiar name you may know, Mikhail Bridges. He's on that list making 21.7. But how about Sabonis, Terry Rozier, 22. Aaron Gordon, boy, that's a bargain now, right? At 22 million as well. You move up the list with RJ Barrett. That one stings right now for the New York Knicks. You got Wiggins on that $24 million out there in Golden State. Mike Connolly, a big number at 24. And then you get into the John Collins, 25. Jalen Brunson at 26, worth every penny. If you're the Knicks, you got a contract you don't like. You got a contract that you absolutely love. Tyler Hero making 27 million. Big money starting to kick in. 27 for Jalen Jackson. Draymond Green just signed his new contract to stay with the Golden State Warriors. So all of these numbers, 28 for Julius Randle. Yeah, listen, and this is taking you up to like the 41st highest contract, which includes Kyle Lowry, 29 million, Chris Paul at 30 million, though that number is no longer, is now non-existent. Some of these numbers are moving off of, right, as we go into this season, depending on what they've been involved in. Okay. Like, go down that list. Some contracts you love, some you hate. DeMar DeRozan at $28.6 million. They're not all perfect, but you're talking about Cameron Johnson is going to get paid somewhere in a top 50 kind of range on his AAV. So the number is big, 100%. But I, again, based on the market, based on other contracts, maybe it's not as shocking as it should. It seemed now when you get up to that next level into the thirties, there are ugly ones like Gordon Hayward. There's great ones like Jason Tatum, 32 million, right? Like, so there, there are contracts that look a lot better. There's contracts that look a lot worse. I don't think we're in the world where we're going to look at the 26 and a half million and be disgusted by it. However, I do temper that by saying it's going to be about the production over the next two seasons that'll make you kind of live with the back end of what this contract could be. But in the coming years, man, th- th- these numbers are going to change. They're going to be fluid. Listen, I'm, you know, Bam Adebayo making 32, Donovan Mitchell making 33. Should Cameron Johnson live in a 5 to $7 million less window than those players? Probably not, no. But I, I just, it's interesting, man. It really is. Because if you go down a little bit into those bargain areas before we move on here, you know, guys like, Bogdanovich making 20 million. Okay. He's got a role. It's highly functional, but I think Cameron Johnson can be a bit more than that. He can be a bit better than that. Right. We mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie, the bane of a lot of Nets fans existence apparently right now, but he's making $20 million. Hunter's making 20 million. Some of these guys are guys that you look at and say, yeah, they shouldn't have right. Jared Allen's making 20 million. So, you know, We'll see. We'll see how all these other contracts and free agency right now shake out, and then we'll and then we'll get down and compare it. But if we're living in a world where Cameron Johnson is paid as a top fifty, top sixty player in the NBA, I think that's going to end up being about right, at least over the next couple of seasons. We'll see where it goes in the end. Let's turn our attention to a handful of names we think the Nets could give you going target here to continue to bolster their roster before we get out the door as free agency continues to unfold. 
We'll dive into that coming up here in just one second after I tell you about our good friends over at Game Time. Oh, Game Time. If you want to be buying tickets for your favorite events, it shouldn't be stressful. I want to go to Red Bulls games. I don't want to be stressed out about it. It's the only sport that's in season right now. Maybe Yankees. I go catch a baseball game in the city. Bottom line is game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets, not only for your sports, but also for music, comedy, and theater near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you're going to have. This is what you do, man. Flash deals are available on last-minute tickets. Easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area. I mentioned sports, but guess what? I don't mind going to Philly, not to support the teams, but I'll go there for some theater. I'll go and catch myself a little, I don't know, 41 steps on Broadway maybe. There's a lot of good action out there. There's concerts out there I want to go see. I'm trying to get myself some tickets to Always Sunny. They're performing their podcast at the Man Center in Philly. I can get on game time and hopefully scoop up some really good tickets with low price guarantee, event cancellation protection, and job loss protection as well. Forget planning months in advance. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, and so much more. The game time guarantee means that you will never have to worry about not getting the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. You can get images of your seats before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you are set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone, so you never have to dig through your email searching for that scan code somewhere. No, 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 baby. It's right on the cell. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code all caps locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms do apply again. Create an account and redeem code locked on NBA for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices. Say it with me. Guaranteed. And the guarantee is that we're going to close out this conversation reminding you that Cameron Johnson is back in Brooklyn on a four year, $108 million deal. The twin powers will unite and hopefully lead Brooklyn to some successful, excuse me, opportunities to be a competitive team, to be a playoff team, and to be a team that is going to be exciting and fun to watch on a night-in, night-out basis. I know I know the agenda here is always going to be about wanting to build a team that can be in pursuit of a championship, but the Nets have been through the ringer these last few years. The organization, the fan base, I think. Heck, I mean, like... You, the fans, right? Like we, we, the people covering them. I need a break from the emotional roller coaster that has been this team. And I think they're doing a nice job getting back to neutral. Talked about these guys before with how the Brooklyn Nets can continue to improve themselves. Kira Lewis Jr. got let free from the Pelicans. I said, you go ahead and you take a look at him. He has some value there for you. Can plug and play. I mentioned a guy like Aaron Holiday. That's an MLE target. No. He is not necessarily the tallest player in the backcourt, but he hits a good three-point percentage. He has a nice stocky frame. Not going to cost you a lot. Get him into the room, right? These are guys that I think can be plug-and-play contributors on your roster early on if you go out and you get them at the right price. I can also go ahead and take a look in the front court. We've talked about this. It seems like, and I have to double-check to make sure no news came out about Christian Wood and where his market's gone. But the bottom line is he is kind of that 
prototypical player that makes a lot of sense because he can face the floor, excuse me. He can knock down the perimeter shot, and he still gives you some really good value potentially uh, on the defensive end. He's big enough. He has length, right? You can even think about the world where you play him on the court at the same time as Nicholas Claxton. There's a good rundown right now at the time of this recording, which should be pretty close. We're 7.30 p.m. on Friday. This should go up within 30 minutes of me finishing. But Austin Reeves is out there. Dylan Brooks, Grant Williams is out there. Doesn't fit necessarily like the one-to-one mold you need, but brings in more perimeter shooting, brings in a little bit of, of edge, a little bit of hustle, right? Some of that grittiness that we talk about the Brooklyn Nets needing. These are TPE kind of target guys. Brooke Lopez still sitting out there. Listen, if Rui Hachimura can't get his butt back to L.A., yeah, I'm going to take a good hard look at what it would mean to get him in the door and make him be a part of this. Maybe that's a little bit less likely, but it's certainly a possibility here. So there are still quality names out there. I believe Austin Reeves, if I'm not mistaken, has already re-upped with the Lakers. So we'll update some of this stuff. The bottom line is you you need these kind of guys. So those are higher-end names we talk about. I'm going to reiterate Mo Mo Wagner because I think that he makes a lot of sense for this team, and I don't think it's going to cost you a lot. Could be a matter of fact that he's going back to Orlando to stay with his brother, but for the right price, I think you get him out here and you get yourself a real opportunity. Jock Landale, the Phoenix Suns, made a lot of moves, brought in Eubanks, brought in other players for that role. I think Landale is going to be out there for the taking. Nets could capitalize on that opportunity. Um, You know, needs to be better from beyond the arc, but functional, right? Not going to cost you much to bring him in the door. Talked about Jay Huff before. Restricted, two-way player, small sample size of the pros. Was not a three-point shooter in college. Then all of a sudden shows up, knocking down 38.5%. Seven-foot-one, floor spacer. Again, low cost, but high upside value for a team that is devoid of that value and talent currently on their roster. So these are the kind of guys that I'm looking at when I talk about the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, you can shoot big here and go with a big name and use that TPE if you want to, but I still think that there's value as you move down these lists and start to look a little bit deeper. Saw that uh, Troy Brown, he had his con- he got picked up a contract. That one stung a little bit. Thought that he was a nice low-level target. Uh, Dante DiVincenzo, he's, he's going to be off the board now as well. Josh, Josh Okoji, excuse me. Not the perfect fit in terms of skill set, but I wouldn't hate bringing him into the backcourt. You can even talk about, have not heard yet at this time, Kobe White back on a three-year $40 million deal with Chicago, and they also brought in Javon Carter. Is Ayo Dosunmu maybe a guy that can go and be gotten here? Now, again, you bring in a player like that, has good length, two-way ability, still a lot to develop in his game. You're thinking about the future with moves like that. So the Nets have to find a way to balance the books here as they move forward thinking not only how do we make our team better in this moment, but how do we make sure that we put ourselves in a position to be developing, right? Coaching staff, getting younger, being developmental. We got to be doing two tracks here. And, And now it's funny. I'll close out on this sentiment. We talked about how it looks like Sean Marks is trying to serve two agendas. And that could be a little frustrating when you come out of the draft, you take Noah Clowney, you take Derek Whitehead. That's fine. That's great. But you don't figure out the DFS and you don't figure out the Royce O'Neal situation. I'm going to level with you. And I said at the time, active evaluation at the time, when we heard that Sean Marks had set what felt like too high of a price tag on Dorian Finney-Smith and Royce O'Neal, I said, when you start hearing that, it sounds like a team 
that doesn't want to have to move off these guys, but understands that the value is there, they'll do it. And that's still in play here. If the value is there, they will do it. But right now, I'm looking at a roster for the Brooklyn Nets, and I'm saying, yeah, what I see here is a team that's going to have veterans in their starting unit, and they're going to have youth coming up off the bench and trying to continue to develop, right? Look at this roster right now. Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, Cameron Johnson, Doran Finney-Smith, and Nicholas Claxton. Nicholas Claxton is the only guy under the age of 27 in that starting lineup. Go into the second unit. One, high veteran in Royce O'Neal at this moment. Everybody else, depending on where Ben Simmons is, but Noah Clowney is a rookie. Cam Thomas is very young still. Edmund Stumner, he's going to be in that 27 range if he's back here. Dariq Whitehead, building back from injury, rookie. Daron Sharp, young, rookie. Get me some other young bodies here in this room to develop behind these veterans, and then you can serve both agendas. I want to be a team that's competitive in the starting unit and has guys that are coming up in that second unit that can be developing throughout the season and giving us an opportunity to move forward with a level of success. That being the case, one little last note, as we get out the door here, Yuta Watanabe is at least right now being recruited by, and it looks like, yes, has agreed to a deal with the Phoenix Suns. So the rumor that was speculated about where he could land had in fact happened. He'll go to Phoenix. He'll play back again with Kevin Durant. Makes sense for him. Absolutely had a career breakout year when Kevin Durant was here in Brooklyn. So the Nets now lose a veteran player with certainly some value in this rotation. They'll need to go out to the market and replace him as well. The free agency work cannot be done yet for Sean Marks. It'll just depend on how high they're going to target players versus trying to navigate around the fringes, fill in with depth, fill in with guys that maybe have that edge of going into their upside soon. That being the case, my friends, boom, bang, bam. That's how you break it down. Cam Johnson back on a four-year 108. I'm back. I don't know. The next time that news breaks, obviously, Doug is back. And we're getting Doug back. That is a shout-out to The Hangover uh, on Monday. So we'll be good to go. Dialing up our coverage, as always. Stay locked in on YouTube. Stay locked in on the podcast feed. It's all free. And you get to enjoy daily coverage of the Brooklyn Nets. Shout-out to everybody that came in for the free agency live session that I ran earlier. Had some good conversations, some great discussions. And we'll keep on doing that here. And as you all know, with no Doug Norrie, there is no quote. Short of saying, I miss my friend, and I can't wait until he's back so we can keep talking. All things Brooklyn Nets basketball, basketball.